0: Esther chapter 10 and we're actually going to look at today chapter 9 we're going to get there in a few minutes verses 18 through 32 but I want to start off in chapter 10 as we close out our study today in the book of Esther Um, so it's been a a wonderful couple of uh, months that we've been going verse by verse through this and uh, this will be our final study in the book so chapter 10 If you would follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1, it says, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. And now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Medea and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all of his countrymen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today, on this Father's Day, we thank you, Lord, that you are the most amazing Father of all. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of giving us your son, Jesus, to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins so that we could know you and live in relationship with you. And I pray today, God, that as your word goes forth, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged. I pray for all the dads here in the room and those watching online that, God, you would speak to us today, and that you would move and work in this time that we have together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the book of Esther closes, it closes with a tribute to this man, Mordecai. And we have seen in our study of the book of Esther that though this book bears her name, Esther, it is much, if not more, about this man, Mordecai, who is in many ways. Um, a, a real hero in this story. And I want you to notice what we're told about Mordecai and his legacy here in chapter 10. We're told that, that he advanced to second in command over all of Persia. We're told that he was great among the Jews, that he was well-received in the multitude of his brethren. He sought the good of his people And he spoke peace to his countrymen. I think that right there is a great legacy. And as we close out our study today in the book of Esther, today being Father's Day, I want to reflect on some traits that we have seen in the course of our study. Some traits that we see in Mordecai that really point to the good and godly father that he was. You know, it was Billy Graham who said this, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And I think that is very, very true. Man, our society, our church, needs good, strong, godly men leading families. And I want us to notice today five traits that we see here in Mordecai that we've seen really throughout the story that I just want to draw to your attention today. And, and, you know, I realize that there are some of you here that your story is you, you don't have a dad in your life. Father's Day is maybe a hard day for you because of that. And I just want to remind you that the best dad of all, the one who loves perfectly, is our Heavenly Father. And some of the things we're going to see in Mordecai definitely are traits that we see in God. And I also want to just say this as a disclaimer, because some of you dads maybe are, as we go through some of these traits, you're going to just be feeling like, well, I didn't do that, and I didn't do that, and I didn't do that. And I just want to encourage you in this, it's never too late to start. And that, you know, we we can be not only fathers to our our own kids, but sometimes our kids get older and our kids are now adults. And, you know, we can be that influence on somebody else. So I think there's something here that all of us can glean from, even the ladies. So five things we want to see here in Mordecai. The first is this, is that Mordecai didn't run from responsibility. Mordecai is introduced to us here in the story of Esther in chapter 2. And one of the first things that we're told about him is in verse 7. In fact, if you want to turn back to chapter 2, verse 7, notice it says this. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And then it says at the end of that verse, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So we see in this story that his cousin Esther becomes An orphan. And what does he do? He steps up and takes her in and raises her as his own daughter. That Mordecai didn't run from responsibility, but he ran toward responsibility even when it was going to make his life harder. Even when it was going to make his life more complicated, that didn't matter. He ran toward responsibility. And you know, one of the things, the problems that I often see with men in the church is that they are passive in their homes. They're not the spiritual leaders that God has called them to be. And oftentimes, their thinking goes like this. Well, I work really, really hard at my job. And I go to work, and I work all day long, and I work really, really hard. And so I leave the discipline, I leave the nurturing of the kids up to my wife. They're passive in their leadership in the home. You know where that started? That started with Adam, the very first man. You see, in the story there in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the fall of man, when man eats of the forbidden fruit, it's interesting in that story that it says that, that Eve found her way over to the tree that they were not supposed to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And oftentimes when you hear that story, it's told in this way, that Adam's problem was that he left his wife uncovered. And they often describe it in this way, that Eve wandered over by this tree where she wasn't supposed to be. And that's where she encountered Satan, who was disguised as a serpent. And Adam was off somewhere else in the garden. So he doesn't see this whole thing going down. That is an inaccurate way of reading that passage. Because if you read it closely, this is what it tells us. It tells us that when Eve was tempted, that she took of that forbidden fruit and she ate it. And then the next thing it says, and she gave it to her husband who was with her. And so the picture the Bible paints is that Adam was right there watching this whole thing go down. And he didn't do anything. He was passive. And that is one of the problems that I often see in men is that they are passive in their leadership. And when men are passive, their families suffer. But when Christian men grab a hold of their God-given role to be servant leaders in their home, their families flourish. This was a study that was done by Focus on the Family. They reported that if a child is the first person in a family to become a Christian, there's a 3.5 probability that the rest of the, 3.5% probability that the rest of the family will become Christians. If the mother is the first one in the family to become a Christian, there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will become followers of Jesus. But if the father is the first person in the family to become a Christian, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the family will follow him into the faith. Dads, we can't be passive. We are called to be servant leaders in our home. And God, our father was not passive either. When, when he saw us in that place where we were lost in our sin, what did he do? The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that he came to our rescue. So the first thing we see about Mordecai is he didn't run from responsibility. The second thing we see is that Mordecai gave wise counsel. When Esther was forced into this beauty pageant that we saw in our study weeks ago, remember Mordecai told her to not let anyone know that she was Jewish. Now, it wasn't because he was ashamed of his Jewish heritage, because in the very next chapter, we see him making a strong stand where he's not going to bow down to this wicked man, Haman. And the very reason he gives for not bowing down is he says, because I am Jewish. But for Esther, he didn't want her being in a place where she would subject herself to unnecessary persecution or unwanted attention. And so it wasn't important in that moment for her to let other people know that she was of Jewish descent. So he gave her wise counsel, and that's what dads do. Dads give wise counsel. When I was a freshman in college, I went to college on a baseball scholarship at Vanguard University. And it was during my freshman season that one day, one of the guys that I was going to school with asked me what was going on at my church that night. And I told him, I said, well, normally, it was a Wednesday night, I said, normally I go to the, the youth group. I'm helping out as you know, one of the high school uh, adult leaders. And he says, ah, I don't want to go to a high school group. What else is there? And I said, well, there's this thing they call the believers' Meeting." And the believers meeting was a, a big afterglow. It was a time of worship, a time of waiting on the Lord. It was a time where the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, were, were exercised. And I had never, ever been to that meeting at the church. So he goes, hey, that sounds interesting. Let's go to that. And so we went. There was about 800 people there that night. We were sitting in the center section on the left-hand side toward the back, and the lights were all down low, and the worship was going on. And about midway through, the pastor who who led that meeting, his name was Chuck Matier. He didn't know me. I went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa church at that time was 15,000 people or so, so it was easy to not know, you know, the the pastors. And so he gets up and he says, there's a young man here tonight sitting in the back on the left-hand side. He's having what the Bible describes as a word of knowledge, a spiritual gift. Young man here sitting in the back on the left-hand side who's really involved in athletics. Now, when he said that, I, I started looking around for guys in that section that looked like they were athletic guys, you know. And then he says, you play baseball or softball, something like that. And then he goes, I want you to stand up. Now, I knew all of a sudden as I was sitting there that he was talking about me. I had a warm sensation that came over my body in that moment that I had never felt before and I haven't felt since. It was like God was just intensely grabbing me out of this crowd of 800 people And so he says, I want you to stand up, and and I'm I'm sitting there hoping somebody's going to stand up, and no one is, and he's just waiting, like, I'm going to wait, you know? And now I'm thinking, like, what is he going to say? I know I need to stand up. I'm thinking he's going to tell everybody I'm involved in some sin. I wasn't, but, you know, (laughs) I'm thinking that's what he's going to say, you know? So I literally, I stood up like this. Got out of the pew. I grabbed the pew in front of me. I was hunched over like this. (laughs) Just like, please be nice, you know? And he says, God wants you to consider giving up playing ball and start getting into the word more because he's calling you into the ministry. Rocked my world. After that evening and in the coming weeks, I had several different people that had spoken to my life. Um, after that, that just was confirmation that this was what God was doing and calling me into a new direction. My direction, my, my plan was I wanted to go to college, have a good college career and possibly play professional baseball or if that didn't work, I wanted to be a college uh, coach. So I thought I'm right on course for my plan. But now all of a sudden God had something new in mind and, but I had a dilemma. I'm on a scholarship at this school. What am I supposed to do? So I went to my dad for some wise counsel. And I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. You know, it's obviously God's calling me, you know, into the ministry. I'm not sure what that means yet. But, you know, he's calling me in ministry. But what do I do? I'm on a scholarship. Do I play the rest of the season or do I quit now? What do I do? And my dad gave me, he spoke these wise words. He said, all I can tell you is that you're not going to be happy until you're doing what God has called you to do. And I thought, that makes total sense. I quit the next day. I went in and told my coach and said, hey, this is what's going on. And I got to quit. I got to give up my scholarship. Now, here's what's interesting. 38 years later, February 2020, my dad is in the hospital for the third time. It's about two weeks before he's going to go home and, and be with Jesus. And, and as he was in the hospital, one, one day as he was there, we, we had, he and I, just a private moment together. No one else was around. And we had this private conversation. In the midst of this conversation, we were talking about that moment and those words that that God had spoke through him to me. And he tells me this. He said, you know what? I knew that that was the right thing to tell you. But it wasn't what I wanted to tell you. Because he says, I really thought you could have made it. I thought you could have went to the pros, you know? And it blew my mind that for 38 years, he never, ever told me that. That he really didn't want to tell me to go do what God was telling me to do. But he did. And I thought, you know what? What a wonderful testimony. And that's really the testimony of a godly dad. Listen, is they tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. They tell you the truth. I love what Solomon writes in Psalm 127. That psalm was written by King Solomon. In verse 3 and 4, he said this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And what Solomon is telling us there in verse 4 is that not only do our children need to be loved, but they also need to be aimed. And Solomon writes that our children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, and arrows are only valuable if they are aimed in the right direction. Now get this, aiming is not the arrow's job, it's the job of the warrior. And listen, dads, grandpas, we are a few of the warriors in our kids' life seeking to aim them in the right direction. And that's the question I have for you today. Are you aiming your kids? Are you aiming your grandkids in the right direction? Here's the testimony of a dad who didn't. He said this, I took my children to school, but not to church. I taught them to drink, but not of the living water. I enrolled them in Little League, but not in Sunday school. I showed them how to fish, but not to be fishers of men. I made the Lord's Day a holiday, but not a holy day. I taught them the church was full of hypocrites and made the greater hypocrite of them and me. I gave them a color television, but provided no, no Bible. I handed them the keys to the car, but did not give them the keys to the kingdom of God. I taught them how to make a living, but failed to bring them to Christ, who alone can make a life. It's heavy. Listen, dads make an impact. Godly dads make a godly impact. And one of the things that we're called to do that we see that Mordecai did is to give wise counsel to our kids to our grandkids, to tell them not what they need to hear, or excuse me, to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Now, I love the idea of fathers being friends with their kids. My dad, before I met Denise, was my best friend. After I met Denise, he was my second best friend. But before we are friends... We need to be fathers. We are fathers first and friends second, and we need to realize that. So fathers, give wise counsel. Mordecai gave wise counsel. Number three, Mordecai knew that there were times when all he could do was pray. When Esther was in that contest, Mordecai was helpless to do anything for her. When she was in that contest, when she was forced to be in this pageant to pick the next queen, there was nothing he could do to help her. He couldn't protect her. And we saw in chapter two where Mordecai is outside of the quarters where the women were being kept. And every day he goes there and he's pacing back and forth, hoping to get some type of word from somebody in that house of how Esther was doing. But, but I want to venture to say he wasn't just pacing he was also praying and guys listen there are times in a dad's life where all you can do is pray listen men you guys with with younger kids listen to this you there's going to be times in your life when you're suddenly no longer going to be the voice that your child listens to You're no longer going to be able to be the counselor. You're not going to be able to be the hero, but you can pray. There's going to be those times when your child goes off to school and you can't be that helicopter parent that you would like to be, but you can pray. There's going to be those times when they go off to college and they are going to experience peer pressure like they've never experienced before. And they're going to experience professors who have an agenda and you can't go to school with them. You can't go off to college with them, but you can pray. And there's going to be those times when they have their first job and they have that difficult boss who doesn't treat them the way that they should be treated? And as much as you would like to give that boss a piece of your mind, as much as you'd like to be waiting at his car after work or or meet him in a dark alley, you know, you can't do that. But you can pray. And then there's going to be those times. And I think this is especially true for all the dads here with daughters. When you're going to give your daughter away, to be married to somebody. And she's going to go off, and you're hoping and you're praying that she's going to be loved and protected by that man. But you can't go home with her. You can't be in that house. You don't know what's happening behind closed doors. But you can pray. Listen, guys. The greatest thing that we can do for our kids is to pray for them. To bring them before the Father. But listen, listen, listen. If you are not being that man of prayer now while they're in the home, chances are you're not going to be that man of prayer when they leave the home. It starts now, guys. The best thing that you can do is pray for your kids. I love what Kent Evans of Manhood Journey just said. He he said, being a, a father who prays isn't the same thing as being a praying father. A father who prays takes actions. A praying father builds godly character. He's in a constant and authentic exchange with a real and present God. Dads who pray, kind of respond. They take action. Oh, I got to pray. There's some crisis going on. Praying fathers. They're building a character in them, in their own hearts and in their kids. And I would love nothing more than to see men in this fellowship, guys bonding together and praying for their kids. Getting together once a week and just saying, hey, let's get together, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. doesn't have to be really, really long. If you can't meet in person, maybe doing it over Zoom and saying, let's pray together. Let's commit ourselves to pray for our kids. It's one of the most powerful things that we can do, men. The fourth thing we see in Mordecai is that Mordecai knew how to help his daughter see the big picture. He knew how to inspire her. Remember when she's put in that place? Now she's the queen. And this edict gets put forth by this guy Haman that all of the Jews, all three million of them throughout the whole province of Persia, all 127 provinces are going to be annihilated in 11 months on this day. And remember what Mordecai did? He sends message to his daughter Esther and says, you have been put in this position for such a time as this. Mordecai saw clearly What Esther didn't see at first, he saw why she was there. He saw the big picture. Now, listen, guys, in order for you and I to be men who are seeing the big or help our kids see the big picture, we need to be clued into the big picture ourselves. We need to have the mind of Christ. What's the big picture? We talked about this on Wednesday night in our Colossians study. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, tells us this, that all things were created through him and for him. Guys, that's the big picture. All things were created. You and I, our kids, they were created by God and for God. And dads, this is one of the best things that we can teach our kids is that they were made by God and for God. In other words, they exist. We teach them, we we train them, we work into their minds the understanding that they were made by God and for God, that they were made and they exist to bring God pleasure. They were created for His glory. That's the big picture. And you know what happens when a child grabs a hold of that reality? When that understanding becomes clear to them, school for them at any level becomes their mission field. And when they get older and they get their first job, that job is not their identity, it is their calling. It becomes their sphere of influence, the place where they understand God has placed me here for a reason and a purpose that they understand that it's now their opportunity to make a mark in this world for the kingdom of God. You know, we read in the book of Genesis that when God made the first uh, man and woman, created the first marriage there with Adam and Eve, that he gave to Adam and Eve a mission. He said to them, it says there in Genesis chapter 2, that God blessed them and he said to them. And what he was going to speak, that was going to be their mission. Now, prior to this, he said that he was going to create them in the image of God. And that's also part of the big picture is understanding and realizing that that all of us, we have been created in the image of God. It's helping our kids understand that they have been created in the image of God. And so they are called to be image bearers of Jesus in this world. It's part of the big picture. But the mission that God gave to the first man and woman that he really gives to all of us was, was simple. I could sum it up in this way. As he said, I want you to love God with all your heart, love others, and take care of what I put into your hands. That's the mission. That's the mission that God gives to us that we are to love God with everything in us, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love the people around us and to take care of what He has entrusted into our hands. And so it's helping our kids understand that they exist For a greater purpose than their own personal happiness. That they exist for a greater purpose than their own personal fulfillment. That they exist for a a bigger purpose than having a career and making money so that they can buy nice things. But we need to teach them that they exist. Created by God and for God. To teach them to be looking for those moments in their life where it's a, for such a time as this moment, where they understand, aha, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm on this team right now. This is why I'm in this job right now. Because we've been ingraining into them the big picture that they exist for God and His glory. But here's the thing, guys. We can't just teach our kids that. We have to live it ourselves. Father, by the name of Eric Ballard said this. The question is not, will our kids follow our example? The question is, what example are we giving them to follow? It starts with how we live. Teaching them to see the big picture. Now, here's one dad who taught his son to see the big picture. His, his son asked him, Dad, how will I ever find the right woman? His father replied, forget about finding the right woman and focus on being the right man. That's big picture stuff right there. So fathers help their kids see the big picture. Here's the fifth and final thing that we want to note today is that Mordecai helped the people of Israel remember what was important. He he taught them to remember the faithfulness of God. We see in chapter 9, Beginning there in verse 18 that Mordecai really takes a role of being a father to the entire nation. And this is one of the things, guys, that we also need to teach our kids is how faithful and trustworthy our heavenly father is. Because the truth of the matter is all of us who are dads, we're going to fail our kids. We won't live up to the standard. We're going to break a promise. But our heavenly father never does. And so I love how we're going to see here that Mordecai teaches his, the people of Israel this import, the importance of remembering. Now the context, if you were with us last week, was this. The day finally came. 11 months went by and the day finally came for this edict of Haman to be set forth when all the Jews were to be annihilated throughout the kingdom. But remember last week we saw that the king gave Mordecai permission to write a new edict that said that on the 13th of the month of Adar, which is March, and the 14th of that month, that the Jewish people were able to, they they were given the right to defend themselves against any... Anyone who would seek to harm them. And we saw last week what happened that three million Jews throughout all the provinces of Persia were spared, and a relatively small number of anti Semitic Persians were killed by the Jews who defended themselves. And in chapter 9, verse 18 through verse 32, it reveals how Mordecai instructed the Jews to institute this holiday where they would always remember this event. Let's read beginning there in verse 18 of chapter 9. It says, But the Jews who were in Shushan... Assembled together on the thirteenth day as well as on the fourteenth and the fifteenth of the month. And they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. And therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled house celebrated the fourteenth day of the month of Adar. With gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. Verse 20. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday and that they should make them days of feasting and joy and and sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. And so the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them. And because Haman, the son of Hamadotha, the Agagite, the enemy of of all the Jews had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast purr, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. And so they called these days Purim, after the name Pur, and therefore, because of all the words of this letter, that they had seen concerning this manner and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail, they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every family and every province and every city and that these days of Purim, should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that this, the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Verse twenty nine. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at the appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written into the book. So here's what happens. Mordecai and Esther wrote that these days of remembrance would be instituted into the Jewish culture forever, that they would never forget, that they would always remember. And did you know that the Jews today, every year, many of them still celebrate the Feast of Purim. They remember. And it's interesting. The word remember appears 240 times in the Bible. It's one of the things that is very, very important to God is that His people would remember His faithfulness. That his people would remember his word. That's why in as you go through the Old Testament, you see in all these different times where God moved on behalf of his people and did a miracle like at the Passover with rescuing the people out of their slavery in Egypt. And after every single one of these rescue moments, so these moments where God's faithfulness is seen amongst his people, that he would have them institute a festival or a feast day to help them remember what he had done. That every single year that they would celebrate and remember the faithfulness of God. And we see in other times, like when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. And after they made it to the other side where God had parted uh, the the rivers of the Jordan at, when it was that flood season, and they were able to walk over, the Bible says, on dry ground, that when they got to the other side, God said, I want you to build a monument. I want you to stack these rocks, 12 of them, one for each of the tribes of the children of Israel. And here's why, when your kids come walking along and they see this pile of rocks, this monument that they'll ask, why is that there? And you can tell them about what I did. You can tell them about my faithfulness. Over and over again, God says, I want you to remember. Why does he do that? Because he knows how prone we are to forget, right? Now, it's interesting. Today, the Jews begin this celebration of Purim with a fast on the 13th day of the month, commemorating the date on which Haman's evil decree was issued, they go into the synagogue on that day. They hear the reading of the book of Esther in its entirety. And whenever the name of Haman is mentioned, they cry out. They say, may he be accursed. May, may his name perish. And little children, as they go into the synagogue on that day, they bring a rattle with them called the Gaguerre. And they use it to make noise. Every single time that Haman's name is mentioned, they rattle their rattle. And if they don't have a rattle, the little kids will hiss like a snake. Because Haman, to them, was a snake-like man. On the morning of the 14th day of the month, the Jews again go into the synagogue where the story of Esther is read again in its entirety. And the congregation engages in prayer. They also read the story of Moses and the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17 and tying together, you know, those two stories because Haman was an Amalekite trying to destroy the people of Israel. And then the people go home to this festive holiday meal with gifts and special foods and they they the celebrating continues on into the next day. And they also send gifts of food um, to the poor and the needy so that everyone. Rejoice together. And so we see here Mordecai, who's acting in in this role like a a father to the entire nation, is, is encouraging them, reminding them that every single year we need to remember the faithfulness of God. And that's really the role of the dad and the family. That we're called, guys, to help our kids. Remember that God is faithful. It's interesting, when God gave instructions to the people of Israel for teaching and training of children, it was very, very clear to the Jewish nation that those instructions were first and foremost given to the dads, to the fathers. That it was their responsibility. In fact, in the Talmud, in the Kedushin 29a, according to that text, a father is obligated to circumcise his son, redeem his son if he is the firstborn, teach him Torah, and to find him a wife, and to teach him a trade. It's very, very clear in their culture. Fathers, you train. It's your job. It's your primary responsibility to train your kids. And mom helps you in that. We see this in Proverbs chapter four, verse one. The Lord says, Hear my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verses eight and nine, the Lord said this. And what great nation is there that has such statues and righteous judgments as are in this law, which I have set before you this day? Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourselves, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then he says this, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And they understood that that was primarily an exhortation that God was given, first and foremost, to the men, to the dads. And so it's good for us guys to kind of step back and ask ourselves, what are are we teaching our kids? What are we modeling for our kids? One dad, this is his humorous recollection of what he learned from his dad. He says, my dad taught me about prayer. He said, you'd better pray that stain comes out of the carpet. He said, my dad taught me about behavior modification. He said, stop acting like your brother. He said, my dad taught me about time travel. He says, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. He said, my dad taught me about logic. Because I said so. That's why. Right? We've heard that one. He says, my dad taught me about the weather. He says, it looks like a tornado swept through this room. And he says, my dad taught me about the circle of life. He said, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. <laughs> Guys, listen. We can do better than that. We can do a lot better than that. As we are called to instruct our kids. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, says this. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That's where it starts, guys. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. The picture there is you shall memorize these things. They'll become a part of your life. And he says, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. But I love that phrase when he says, you shall teach them when you're sitting, when you're walking. In other words, this is what God is saying. Listen, guys, God is saying, look for teaching moments all throughout the day. Unformalize it, in other words. Look for those teaching moments. It's throughout the day that that you're going to look for those moments to speak into your child's life. My dad was so good at this. So good. He's in heaven now, but man, I miss him so much. And he was so great at teaching in, I learned so much from just observing him. Here's some things that I learned in observing my dad. He taught me what it means to be a man who loves God with all of his heart. My dad was so in love with Jesus so appreciative of everything that Jesus had done for him. And I saw that in the way he talked and the way that he lived. He taught me the importance of being a man of the word. Why? Because I'd see him reading his Bible all the time. I'd see him with his Bible open. Just reading it. Seeking God. He taught me that it was okay for a man to show emotion. Oftentimes, I'd see my dad, whether it was at church or in those times when he was reading his Bible, that he'd be crying, just touched by God's love for him. It touched me. He taught me that it was better to give than to receive. My dad was one of the most generous men that I have ever met, one of the most selfless individuals that I know. He taught me about integrity, letting your yes be yes and your no be no. He was that kind of guy. He taught me about honor, standing in support for what you believe in as well as in those that you love. He taught me what it meant to be a hard worker and how to be resourceful and responsible. He was one of the most hardest working guys that I ever knew. But he also taught me the balance between family and work because my dad was always there. He was always available. He taught me how to persevere and never give up. He taught me about finances, how to not be in debt. He never was. And he taught me how to love my wife in the way that I saw him love and adore my mother. That's what I observed in watching my dad. And I'm so thankful for all those little conversations that we had just along the way, riding in the car, playing ball, taking a walk, whatever it was. Guys, listen to me. Especially you dads that have little ones. You only get one shot. You only get one. Make the most of it. My three kids, they're, they're adults now. They all have their own kids. I'm a, I'm a grandpa now, three times over. And when I look at my, my youngest one, Amanda, she's 26 now, and, and it just seems like yesterday that she was in junior high. Guys, it happens so fast. Let's purpose in our hearts, men, to be dads who lead Let's purpose in our hearts with the help of God and His faithfulness and His Holy Spirit to be men like Mordecai who run toward responsibility, not away from it, who give wise counsel, pointing our kids like their arrows, pointing them in the right direction and our grandkids. Let's be men of prayer. Let's be men that help our kids and our grandkids see the big picture that they were made by God and for God. And let's be men that help our kids remember the faithfulness of God. Because even when we are faithless, our God remains faithful. Amen? Amen. Can I get all the dads and grandpas, can I get you guys to stand up right now? I want to pray for you guys. I want to remind you, in the courtyard today, you have the world-famous Manrito available to you uh, today. Probably won't be able to eat it in one helping, but you can take it home, have it for breakfast tomorrow. Um, it's the burrito to end all burritos, but i pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for these men, these fathers, these grandpas. God, I thank you for just how much my heart and life is inspired by so many of them as I watch them with their kids, as I watch them as they love their wives. Lord, I thank you for these men who are a part of this church. And God, I pray today that you would bless them, that you would empower them, Lord, I pray for, de- for, for them today that maybe in the, the areas where their heart has been stirred today, of the need to maybe step it up, God, that they wouldn't try to do that in their own strength, but that they would look to do that in yours. And God, I pray for myself and these men that you would help us, God, to remain faithful first to you and then to our families that we would be men that see the big picture, that we would live our lives in the reality that we know that we have been made by you and for you, that we exist for your pleasure, first and foremost. And Lord, I pray just blessing upon my brothers today. I thank you, God, for the men in this church. Be glorified, God, in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen.